This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again and if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. You are the ones who make Veritas possible. Tonight's special guest is Fernando Vosa, who will delve into the topics of science, spirituality, humanity, extraterrestrial contact, the procession of humanity into the new age of awakening, and how the Earth is going through its own awakening. Fernando Vosa will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, become a Veritas member. It's very simple. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe button. In just a few seconds after you subscribe, you'll receive your login, and you'll have hundreds of hours of knowledge. And this knowledge is priceless. Subscribe today. And the winter is almost here. At least it feels like it in the desert. Don't get caught off guard. Get your MMS directly from us. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And it's also very inexpensive. Go to the Veritas store and find out. You'll be glad you did. And next week, I will put a link where you can submit your question for the upcoming Inside Veritas show. You'll submit your question to me and anything goes. The show will air on December 23rd. And I will raffle one 8GB metal-cased USB drive with Season 3. I'm looking forward to this. 
And if you need to get in touch with me, just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the contact button. From the words of Fernando Vosa, we're living in the age of awakening. It is time to activate all aspects of our divine human nature. My work is a portal into consciousness on our planetary shift into higher states of being through technology I call engines of mass creation. Should we ask for the declassification of UFO military technologies they use to solve the current energy crisis? Should we ask for the declassification of UFO military technologies to use to stimulate the economy? Do the benefits of declassifying UFO military technologies outweigh the threats? For answers to these and many more questions, Fernando Vosa is coming up next. This is Mel Fambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. This is Michael Tellinger, and you're listening to Veritas. Fernando Vosa has been designing technology experiences for over 15 years. His approach is to reach the psyche and heart of his audience using multidisciplinary techniques from industrial design, cognitive psychology, virtual reality, cinematography, architecture, graphic design, and fine art. Fernando Vosa's accomplishments include being part of leading-edge design teams for major brands such as Microsoft, Sony, US West, GE Aerospace, and most recently unfolding innovative installation concepts at the center of mass creation. This media pioneer holds degrees in computer science, cognitive science, and technology design for the University of Washington. His passion for divine technology has led him to discover evolutionary transformations of our energetic body. His journey is to explore the integration of free energy research, healing technologies, and a cosmic awareness of our extraterrestrial neighbors. Vosa is a member of the Exopolitics Movement. His work includes being a media consultant and technology ambassador to the Cyril Magnetic Team, developing the SEG, Cyril Effect Generator. And directly from Tijuana, Baja California North in Mexico, I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Fernando Vosa. Hello, Fernando, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? We are living in the age of creation and awakening. Mel, I am so excited to be on your show. This is such a beautiful opportunity to share so much new information. All of these changes 
this infusion of energy into the planet, our welcoming of the 1111 shift. Can you believe this? Incredible, isn't it? It is the time for us to awaken into moving from that fear and lack and trouble and all of the amazing demonstrations, banking issues, conspiracy. Now we get into solutions, action, transformation. What do you think about that? It's time, no? Well, of course, it is definitely time. And as, as we were talking about in the past few days, I shared with you, and you know this, a few weeks ago, I decided to put a poll in our on our website so that our listeners could tell us what direction they would like to see the, the show go. And uh, I was very impressed, to, to, to not that impressed and surprised. I think that's it's just because people want to be able to get answers. And, and the number one topic, as requested by, by our majority, was consciousness, spirituality, and esotericism. So I'm glad to have you here because there's so much you can talk about. And I'm so impressed with your work. As I always say, when I talk to people like you, where was I? I mean, why haven't I been exposed to to your work? And, And I hope that in the next two hours, we can squeeze as much as we can from your brain so you can tell us. But Fernando, we treat each show as a documentary or as a movie. And I always like to develop the characters so that my audience knows who's talking to them. So tell us more about yourself. You know, what brought you to to become the transformation that must have happened throughout life that made you the Fernando you are today? I came onto this world being born in Mexico, Guadalajara, and always, always my entire life have felt like this planet wasn't mine. It wasn't my home. I was a visitor. Yeah. Even since I was little, I remember looking at other kids and, and school and my family and having this inner sense that there was missing information, but we just couldn't elaborate it, right? I had my first real awakening in Alaska when I was about eight years old. I had a move where my father moved the entire family from Mexico all the way up. He got a job at the Alaska Pipeline. Okay. And I had an experience where I was walking home in the woods in the winter, lost at night after school. And I could have frozen to death. I didn't even speak much English at the time. A light came down from the sky and talked to me. And it wasn't voice or or images. It was like a knowing. And this group of energy said that they knew who who I was. So at eight years old, having a, a transformative opening like that, that was like the first stage that changed my life. What is interesting and when you have those experiences that you have to come back from traveling across the universe, which they showed me. I went into the sun, went through these vortices into the center of the galaxy and was shown that each one of us is a galaxy of stars. We are this immense energy that was compressed into a little bit of light that went inside the womb. And I was shown in this movie in 3D, how my mom gave birth to me. Then I had to go to school the next day and interact with 3D reality. But what happened from then on is like I went into accelerated learning. The teachers would say one thing and my inner sense showed me a bigger version of it. And you know how it is when, when that happens, you assume everybody else is going through it, right? Yeah. One of the things that was a great blessing to me is to have the freedom of creativity. 
You know how it is when you have a difficult childhood. My parents were fighting. We were in different countries. We, I didn't know too many people that were Mexican at the time. All of that caused an, an isolation, almost a sense of abandonment. But within there, I was able to create entire realities in my consciousness. And at that time, I just thought it was my imagination. So in my dreams throughout my childhood, I, I was meeting extraterrestrials, being shown other planets, being shown how the world works, the physics and the energy that's around us. By the time I was growing up in junior high and high school, I already knew I was an anomaly. Were you still in Alaska at the time? I was still in Alaska. I, I grew up all the way through high school, and then I moved to Hawaii. Oh, okay. So I lived in Hawaii for eight years, and at that time, I got a, a sense of a, a different spirituality. Hawaii, as I had learned later, was the center of the continent of Lemuria. So I was giving insight that there was still a genetic heritage in Hawaii that is there today. Interaction with Pleiadian beings, interaction with the tribes that spread across the world to start Atlantis. So even back then, around when I was in my 20s, I asked the question, why was I born Mexican? Why was I born during this time period right now? And, and what is my role in life? And you know, that's a deep question to ask when you're in your early 20s. Of course. And you know, two great locations, well, three great locations. First of all, Guadalajara is one of my favorite cities, a beautiful city. Then you move to Alaska. Then you move to Hawaii. To Hawaii. Exactly. You've had a great uh, set of places that you've lived in. Later, I was to find out, because I've also have spent time in New Zealand and in Japan and in Australia and now here in California. This is the perimeter of the continent of Lemuria. I have been traversing my genetic heritage physically by my travels. Isn't that curious? I'm just mentally putting the dots, Guadalajara, Alaska, and uh, Hawaii, and it's a triangle. Do you realize that? It is. And I have later learned that the California, especially around the Encinitas, California area, mm -hmm. is sacred land. That's where the Yogananda Self-Realization Center is. This is where many of the great speakers, people like Cryon, Abraham Hicks, are right here in my backyard. And I, I was later to find that there are reasons for that. This was the, the portal from Lemuria to Atlantis. They physically came through California. What do you think happened? And I'll, I'll, I'll like to continue diving into your life. But what do you think happened to Lemuria and Atlantis? Lemuria went underwater, but over a long period of time. That, that civilization that lasted, and I don't have the exact numbers, but somewhere between 50 and 100,000 years, was going underwater, and it took a long time. It was geological. During that time, there was also a splitting of the leaders, the you might say the adepts, the priests. Yeah. And I was shown all of this history in dreams and in meditations, and Whenever I asked a question, like I'd be in school, I heard about, for example, ancient Samaria, I always wanted to know what came before that. And suddenly a book would appear, a person mm. would come into my life and tell me a story and then walk out of my life, like a friend of the family, for example. Uh -huh. That sounds familiar to me. You get, you get your answers in ways that you can't imagine. So 
I was able to connect with that heritage that started with the Pleiadian interaction with humanity, going through Atlantis. And then after Atlant Atlantis, from what I was shown, was more of a nomadic civilization that did have a continent in the Atlantic Ocean. And it was centered around your hometown in Puerto Rico, Cuba, mm -hmm. okay. all of that. Uh, but there was also a faction in Europe of, of Atlantis and also a break off down to South America. And that's where I connected because I have always loved the symbols on the pyramids. It didn't matter if they were Incan or Mayan or Aztec. And I felt that deep connection. I always wonder, and I don't, I don't mean to interject, Jack, oh, no but just problem. before I forget the, the, the thought, I always wonder the similarity of the word Egipto, which is Egypt in Spanish, and Mexico, Mexico in Spanish. Did you ever find a correlation between those two words? No, I've never really correlated those. The ones I, I kind of correlated was Aztlan and Atlantis. Aztlan being the legendary source of the Aztecs. That was that is thought to be uh, right here in southern the United States, uh -huh, Arizona, right. New Mexico, Texas, and all the way to California was what is believed to be Aztlan. And as you know, the legend in Mexico is that the ancient Aztecs were told to look for a sign, which was a serpent on top of a cactus eating a snake, a, an eagle, an eagle, an eagle, right. An eagle and a, and a serpent, a right. snake. And that's the symbol of Mexico on our flag. Unfortunately, they, they found it to be on top of a lake where they saw the cactus with the snake and the eagle. And they built the city of Mexico, Tenochtitlan, over a lake. And you think of the word Enoch, which is the center of the word Tenochtitlan. Exactly. That one I had come across. So the, the correlations are mind-blowing. So what happened after you went to Hawaii? I moved to the Silicon Valley here in California, Northern California. Mm -hmm. My quest to connect with what I would think would be the most advanced technology. I've always had this inspiration to create technology that would transform our lives. I wasn't interested in another little electronic gadget that we could carry. I wanted yeah. to create technology that would transform our bodies genetically and show us an ideal version of what we could be. And the closest thing I could think of was maybe the Silicon Valley. So I went to work for Sony in the Silicon Valley. And during that time, somebody showed me a video of a gentleman wearing this huge contraption on his head And you could see on a little screen that he was moving a 3D cube in front of him with his hands. Virtual reality. Exactly. This was happening at NASA Ames. And I said, whatever that is, that's what I want to do. So I quit my job at Sony and went to school, University of Washington, to study virtual reality design. Huh. And what happened afterwards? Virtual reality and the philosophy, the psychology, the technology showed me that there must be a way that we build a model of reality in our consciousness, in our brain, in our mind, however you want to see it. I wanted to tap into that. There must be a connection between how we perceive reality and how reality unfolds. Now imagine taking this approach and going to a traditional engineering school and business and science school and posing these questions, which obviously verge on the 
the parapsychology on the understanding of something that's on the edge, you know, and all the way to the spirituality and esoterics. Right. At that time, which was in the early 90s, I didn't really find and connect with individuals that had the full language. You either had engineers that knew a lot about motion sensors. We had scientists that studied the visual perception. We had architects building digital buildings. But nobody was really what I would call the renaissance of design that could span all fields. I wanted to be that already. So that's kind of where that began, that whole package. And speaking of uh, technology, you know, it's great, the advent of the internet and the advent of so many gadgets that we have these days. But I posted on my Facebook wall the other day what seems to be happening right now. I put a picture of how socializing used to be before. You see a group of people, men and women, playing guitar, having a drink, just talking. Now you go to a social gathering and you see people, especially children, just looking at their phones and texting texting other people and not actually having contact directly with each other. Oh, yeah. When I talk to my nephews who are teenagers, they say, oh, uncle, look at my Facebook. Yes. And I ask them how they're doing. Right, exactly. Or you go to a wedding and you see kids sitting in their table. Every one of the kids is having a gadget and they're just texting somebody else, not interacting with the group they're, they're with. Do you think technology is a detriment or is technology something that is positive? Because sometimes I'm in the middle. First, look at technology as a layered mechanism of communication, of sharing information and energy. It's a bridge. It's almost a cheat, you might say. Mm -hmm. On one end of the scale, we have the ability to communicate with each other at all infinite levels. On the other end of the scale, we have an ability to completely put walls between us, which like the telephone, television, iPhone, all of that does. Now mix in there a generation, you might say the early indigos, that were born uh, roughly now they're in, in their 30s, that was the first generation that started disconnecting from the matrix. They needed a way to communicate with each other and to be without being completely destroyed by the system, right? Right. But now we have the extreme of children who have ADD, uh, children who are autistic, and that's a generation that has completely disconnected from the matrix. They seem like something's wrong with them. Too well, much. I'm so glad you're, you're saying this because I've said it for, for a few years now. It, it, when I was growing up, I remember the kids who had ADD or, you know, hyperactivity, what would they prescribe? Even during my time, you know, Ritalin, uh, Ritalin and, 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 you know, mind-altering <laughs> drugs. And <laughs> then <laughs> many of them turn into, you know, sociopaths or, or criminals because the, the medication turned them that way. But do you think ADD and autism and all this could be a natural reaction to separate ourselves from the matrix, almost as ignore, to ignore the programming that we're exposed to? You know, one of my roles, Mel, is to work with parents of advanced kids and help them communicate with their kids. So I do work with autistic and ADD kids all mm -hmm. the time. Right. The technology has allowed us to have a buffer so they can have a little bit of peace. For example, and you know that ADD and autism are a spectrum of all these different abilities, right? Of course, of it's course. It's just not one designation. So imagine that you are getting bombarded and I experienced this myself. I could have been ADD or autistic at a certain level. Mm -hmm. We're getting bombarded by many levels of information. 
It's like your, your tuning mechanism to reality has a broader set of bandwidth. For example, one autistic uh, lady that I spoke to, and she was still young at the time, like 12, 13, said that when she looked at her father, just looked at her parents, it was like thousands of pictures of their face coming at her from different angles at the same time. We're used to looking at our parents and you see their smile, right? Mm. She, so she would have to cover her eyes sometimes when she's looking at her parents or cover her ears when people are talking to her because she said sound comes into her brain and it almost hurts because she can hear multiple voices at the same time in different tonalities, yes. different octaves. So children at that level have to filter that out so they don't go crazy. Imagine that now we have this opportunity to step into what we would consider a higher dimension, a higher vibration. So these children are the first generation that are really uh, multidimensional. And technology helps them navigate that. Nature is another great way for, for ADD and autistic children to connect, go out in nature. And here's another, it, it is kind of a frustration, and I know it is to you as it is to me. Uh, I don't know if this happens to you, but after interacting with so many great people in the past few years who have told me there, there's free energy devices, right. there are, there's inverse gravity devices out there, I can't help but become frustrated, Fernando, when I see cars an internal combustion, or see planes that crash when the technology to replace this is hidden from us. What are your thoughts on this? And Mel, this, this hits home with me because my car, a couple of months ago, recently, the engine blew up. Hmm. I was crossing the border, and it overheated. Eventually, it was sputtering uh, smoke. Yeah. And at that moment, I was expressing that frustration. Why the hell do we still have to drive an internal combustion horse and buggy, right? right. I went through years of frustration with the system when I learned about free energy, when I learned about healing technology, and of course with the extraterrestrial issue. And they're all related. It's all similar. I came to the conclusion recently that conditions did not favor that technology to, to be manifested just yet. So the work of Nikola Tesla, the work of people like Ralph Ring, uh, Professor Searle, yeah. that work were seeds that were being planted that now we get to harvest. And now it's inevitable. 2012, we're going to see technology that's going to blow our mind, including time travel, teleportation, multidimensional matter replication. You know what's really funny, Mel, is that science fiction has a hard time now. Hollywood has a hard time depicting the future. Because <laughs> it's yeah. here. We're already ahead of it. Anything yeah. they show in Star Trek is already old school. So I think that the conditions weren't favorable. And we had to have a heart opening. We, we have to step into a, a consciousness that can navigate the moral implications of this technology. You can't just place inverse gravity in the hands of a weaponized mind, right? Well, that's the, that's the problem. I'm glad you used the word weaponized because... Whenever something new comes along, whether it's energy or whether it's a cure for a disease, all of a sudden, it becomes weaponized. It's, it's the proverbial, I can use a knife to cut an apple or to, to kill somebody. Oh, yes. Why is it always that duality that, that brings the negative out of something that could be so, so positive? Not to mention profit potential 
and monopolies that come with it. How can this paradigm shift then? We have been in a, in a cycle of the last few thousand years that favored the lessons that could be learned from negative service to self actions. If we are considering coming from lack and fear and control, everything about our physiology, our brain, the way our senses function, support that. So as soon as you get in front of something like clean water resources, desalination, free energy, your brain is already thinking how you can control that, how you can keep it for yourself, how you can use it for wealth. But that's changing. That mechanism is going away now. We're going to see now, as soon as just this year, that you cannot weaponize the new technology that's coming out. You will not be able to explode a nuclear bomb of peace and love and compassion because it's only going to do good. Isn't that sound exciting? Of course it sounds exciting. And I, I was going to use the expression devil's, devil's advocate, but I know that you think that instead of being devil's advocates, we're going to turn into angel's advocates, which is yeah. something that's going to happen in the future. But I have to still, uh, being a skeptic with an oh, open... mind. Yes, being a skeptic with an open mind. What leads you to believe that after not hundreds, but thousands of years of the same oppression and control of a minority of the majority, what makes you think that all of a sudden this transformation will take place? I'll give you a very simple answer. Because I'm here. I have, I and my current incarnation and millions of people like me, we're here. We are the ones that are going to make this difference. You can't convince me to create weapons. You cannot talk to me about negative technology any longer. It is not in my system any longer. So that's the first answer. That's, I believe in it because I am living proof in the way I think that it can be done. Second, I also see that there's information that has been missing. Uh, you might say in the collective consciousness, in the morphogenic field of, of the earth, the little pieces of information like, what's the right frequencies to use in a free energy device? Mm -hmm. You're doing sound resonance or magnetic fields. Uh, what are the correct combinations of crystals, light, water, thought intention? We didn't have the quite the full recipe yet. Most people aren't aware that Nikola Tesla was already experimenting with massless objects, meaning changing the mass of, a, of an object so it would levitate and take off. There are, there are marks in the ceiling in one of his labs to show that he was already playing with that. Professor Sir was another one doing that, where things could levitate, but they were not quite under control. We are now stepping to a time where scientists and researchers in their garages are being, you might say they're either receiving or they're being presented the final pieces of the puzzle. That's also a hint for me that things are changing. Well, once again, I go back to those in control. We know of a few entities that allegedly are here to help inventors come in and, and bring their products to, to market. But in reality, what they might be, might be uh, applied by the, the powers that want to be, so that they are aware of who's bringing the technology. They semi-fund them, but the moment the prototype is ready to be marketed that's when the financing or the funding 
stops so that they can choke the product and sequester it. I can't tell you of how many people have told me of stories yeah. where, where General Motors and other big companies have purchased or, or, or you know, people are subverted or destroyed. And then all of a sudden, we, we lose, just, just like diamonds. You know, we know that diamonds, that it, it's, it's the scarcity model. They go and get all the diamonds, they put them in a bucket somewhere so that there's scarcity worldwide. That's why we have hunger. That's why we have poverty. I'm just trying to think, how can we revert this in a timely fashion? I want to share with you that I had been on that camp of being a, what would have been labeled as a, an angry conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I have been part of the activism and demonstrations and pretty much outright defiance of law, of going against the banks. I've, I've published videos for people to close their bank accounts four years ago. I think I put that video out. Mm. I've done murals on, on, out on uh, public inst art installations depicting the injustices and exactly what, what you're talking about. And only until recently, and I'm talking only the last couple, three months, did I make that shift. So if you would have had this interview as little as three months ago, you would still be hearing me complain about why do we have UFO secrecy? Why don't we have free energy when it's been available? I used to work for military contractors. I used to be part of the team that helped develop the B-2 bomber. And believe me, it's not easy to let it go when you're making good money, you drive a nice car, you get support. There's an entire community of weapons builders around the world that you can visit. And to step out of that and be broke, be ridiculed, be ousted from the industry, and pretty much have a hard time making a living, believe me, Mel, I wanted to go back to the dark side sometimes. I actually thought about what would it be like to sabotage some of this weapons development and, and have it blow up in their faces. I, yeah. I had the capability of creating nuclear devices. But with this great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. I don't ever underestimate the sophistication of the money or the sophistication of the control structure. I know how deep it goes. Uh, the powers that be, you might say, have infiltrated every aspect of our earthly existence. There is nothing they haven't touched. School system, our food, our clothes, our education to the point where we don't even believe free energy exists. I recently visited several universities and they've never even heard of free energy. Isn't that mind-blowing? Well, that tells you that uh, somebody's funding them to, to avoid them from even discussing it. Not to mention the pharmaceutical schools that I've visited. Of and, course. And I'm not saying any direct names at the moment, but the, they don't believe that there's healing technology with sound, even though we have decades of amazing research. Because cures goes against the, the main foundation principle of the pharmaceutical industry, which is profit. Exactly. But the glimmer of hope for me is that in every cave that I go into, you know, just like going into looking for the Taliban and I put my flashlight out there and I see the cockroaches <sighs> moving around and the rats, there's always one angel that wants to come out. So when I go visit the research labs or the universities or the corporations, there's always one or two individuals who are on the fence and they need people like me to help them stand up and be courageous because they do not have the freedom. 
One of my greatest pieces of abundance is to have the freedom and the imagination to put out all these ideas. I have compassion for those individuals who don't have that, the, what you might say, the, the decision makers. The other thing that's frustrating, Mel, for me is that there's nobody you can point to that's, that's in charge anywhere. You can't say where these policies at the weapons makers are coming from. You can't point to the people who are making budget decisions. They don't exist. Isn't that curious? Of course. And I have to tell you that it's so important what you're saying because many people may judge and say, oh, look at those people who are working for the dark side. But at one point I worked for, for a Fortune 100 company and I didn't know any better. I went to business school. That's what I did for a living. That's what supported me, what fed me. And I started waking up when I went to visit Monsanto and some of those companies. And I was walking the aisles of Monsanto in St. Louis thinking, my God, I'm walking in, in, a, in a, the headquarters of this Hydra that's creating, yes, creating GMOs and creating poisons with NutraSweet and, and all that. And I'm thinking, how can I make my voice heard without being fired? And of course, I had to remain silent until the future when I left the corporate world and I started what I'm doing now. So I understand. I feel empathy for those people who work for a living. They have to support their families, their children, and they have no room to maneuver. But just being cognizant of what's outside is what we're trying to address here, right? Oh, yes. And just to share other people's experience, I was pressured out of the companies that I worked for. After a while, it gets old to be ahead of your time. It is not the yes. easy path. Imagine being at organizations like Microsoft or Sony and being at a conference table and being the only weirdo idiot with these <laughs> ideas. I know. That gets old. Let me tell you, it wore, it wore me down a lot because I thought, okay, either I'm crazy, I'm, I am not in touch with the, with the current market reality, the, the engineering or physics. So I would talk about things like uh, spectromagnetics, that you could tune a magnet into a different frequency. Think the engineers were thinking of, of me at the time. This guy has been smoking something. Yeah. Yes. What is very evident at the moment is that the managers that were in charge at that time, most of them have been fired from most of the companies. Many of these corporations are already employing indigo kids that have just recently graduated from college. Now they're going to be the new decision makers within the next five to ten years. And pretty soon you're going to see that. That entire power base of the ones that were really profit motivated or gaining market control, those are not going to be in place anymore. And I'll, I'll give you an insight of how deep this goes. I get asked, well, what could Mexico do, for example? And one of the things that Mexicans don't realize is that Mexicans do not run Mexico. All of our trillions of dollars of oil here all of our trillions of dollars of drugs, of natural resources, of gold, are not run by Mexicans. How's that for a wake-up? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And a lot of people don't know that. And I have to tell you, just to, to make a quick parenthesis and to clarify something, a couple of weeks ago, I received some, uh, I don't want to call it hate mail, but some people attacked me because I discussed the Occupy Wall Street movement as I was discussing the, the Fed, because I asked my guest, that I was unclear as to what the actual goals and objectives were for the Occupy Wall Street movement. I was not attacking the movement. I think it's great that we have people 
who are out there and and perhaps change is going to come in the banking industry what it was suggesting folks was that the when when you need to kill a, a snake you go for the head you know you don't go for the tail yeah. and the head of the snake is the federal reserve system not the banks the banks are just simply a symptom of They're the problem Exactly. So I just want to make clear that that's what I meant. I was not ridiculing or attacking the Occupy Wall Street movement whatsoever. So those of you who wrote, please understand that I'm with you. Please oh, go yes. on. I am putting out a, an official call out to any nation. I don't care if it's a small third world country who is interested in making a commitment to free energy. Somebody around this planet is already planning to be the first free energy nation in the world. Uh, tied with that is the, the first nation to make a commitment to healing technology, true human healing technology. And the third one is the nation that will make a commitment for galactic awareness, for a cosmic connection with our neighbors. Those three will happen simultaneously. I was hoping maybe Costa Rica, Peru, one of those would wake up and say, yes, we want to bring all those crazy garage level researchers to our country to build prototypes. We'll put a hundred million, one billion dollars behind them. So that's an official call that I'm making today on your show. I I would love to see that. And of course, I even had that conversation with uh, Professor John Searles Camp to see if there was a country out there that could fund the project and perhaps be the first one to come forward. You mentioned Costa Rica, which by the way, a lot of people may not know that they don't have a military because there's an agreement between the United States and Costa Rica that if something happens there, we will help them militarily and they don't have to spend any money, which something tells me if they come forward and say, yes, we want to be the first country to say that free energy exists. I can see the United States just stepping over them as they have stepped on, on Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and some other countries, don't you think? Oh, I, I very much think so. Let me give, share with you one model that I think would be interesting. If I was Mexico, would I would first close my borders. I would invite back all of the Mexicans around the world that would like to come back and live here. And then I would make it a closed border, just like the U.S. has a closed border here. Mm -hmm. Second, I would refine our oil to be some of the best, most highly high-grade oil in the world. And third, I would get Mexico off of oil. So we would be not dependent at all on oil. So it's a way to have the the the, the crystal meth that the world needs yeah. to make the money. But we would not be – it's like having a pusher that's addicted to its own drugs. That's That doesn't work, does it? The not at all. The next thing I would do is I would make a commitment to feeding and clothing with clean water, clean food, and energy, everybody in this country. I would make that commitment to educating with new paradigms. And then I would invite the world as an open model to show them how we did it. But it would take maybe 10 to 20 years to do something like this. You know, going back to the indigo children, the crystal children that you, you talk a lot about, and you even have a camp, uh, what's called the, uh, uh, space? The call it yes, yes. Comment. Yes, Light Comet Camp. I, I saw the video. That's pretty impressive. It stands for Light Conscious Media Technology. Oh, so that's the acronym. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, during one of uh, your presentations, you said something that, that struck a chord with me. Actually, a few things. But one was that children must be allowed to be imaginative. And then you cited some of your own examples of your own experience when you were told growing up that 
when you were asking, you know, saying, uh, nope, that's not in the book. That happened to me many times. Yes. I really wonder, Fernando, if this happens to most children these days, because I strongly think that it's part of the current paradigm or programming so that children follow a strict set of uh, guidelines or, or doctrine so that they don't discover their true potential. Do you think this is happening? Yes. Part of the control structure is to limit creativity. One of the weaknesses of what we would consider the dark side is their lack of connecting with creation, with the power to create something out of nothing. So they have to mine that from the creativity of their subjects. Children are the gateway to new ideas and new perspectives. That's why we're having kids in Israel and in Palestine that are not listening to their parents right now. Mm. They don't really want to be told who to hate. One of the interesting aspects of this new generation is that they already come connected with nature and they already connected with a concept of a creator. So yeah, you get kids that want to talk to animals, that love dolphins, they know that Gaia is conscious and there's an inherent spirituality to technology. And that's a huge shift. So when you squash the creativity of children, you begin their trip into fear and lack and discontentment, which is easy to control them then. But that's that's not going to be the case anymore. Yeah. And you also say that the biggest complaint they hear from indigo or Christian children is that they're being ignored, that their ideas are too crazy and are not allowed to envision. Envision is such a powerful word. What do you envision in our, in our true potential for the future? First is to find that bridge where existing structures, existing technology, existing financial can be de-weaponized into something that transforms humanity. Imagine what it would be like to create a bank that actually is good for you when you're visiting it. What would it be like to create electronics and architecture for homes and buildings that the buildings are conscious, they're sonically tuned to your awareness? Uh, that's the first level, to imagine what it would be like to take the existing reality and de-weaponize it in a way that it can't be weaponized again. The second aspect is to entertain new paradigms no matter how crazy they seem. When we talk about extraterrestrial knowledge, paradigms of multidimensionality, that vocabulary needs to be introduced into the school systems so we can dream, just daydream. What would it be like when we can ascend our bodies so it can be physical or energetic? Not to mention, you know, turning every aspect of the kids' lives into art. Art is one of the vehicles to creativity. It's not just painting pretty pictures. Those are some of the first steps that I would take. And it makes me wonder why they're removing art from public, public schools. Yes. Because this is where the, the children canalize the, or channel the, their energies into something that is going to help them for the future. But one aspect of your presentation that really amazed me was the sonic Reiki sonic resonance to heal the body. Can you explain more? I was looking for a mechanism because as an industrial designer, I love to build little gadgets and things as examples of the knowledge. For me, every teaching has to turn into something physical that we can use. Right. 
one of the things that I found is the common elements between free energy, healing, and the whole exopolitics issue. Water, magnetics, light, crystals, and sound were like the basic building blocks. How would it be if we could put sound into the body? This is what I asked myself. In a way to create a closed loop, that means it would be live, and it would tell you the status of your body and open a channel of communication. Imagine that I'm putting a radio station up for you to talk to your DNA. What I like about the concept of traditional Japanese Reiki is that you can help someone program their energetic field. You might say work on their chakras, their Merkaba, the energy centers of their body. I love that about Reiki. And one way I, I thought about it was with sound. So I took a technology designed to put sound on glass, like a store display when you walk by it. Right. And I put a quartz, a polished quartz crystal on top of it. Because crystal is a, like a filter. It can condition the sound so it harmonizes with our body in an organic way. Because if you put bare metal against the body, it's still, it's noisy, it's intrusive. So one of the things I do with the sonic Reiki system is I take the, the audio of crystal bowls, didgeridoos, tuning forks, ohm chanting, and play it inside your tissue, inside your bones to resonate, to vibrate your blood cells, your cartilage, your tendons. Eventually, your DNA is listening to that sound. One of the things I do in sonic Reiki is I ask people what they would like to say to their body if they could talk to it directly. And believe me, Mel, people get very emotional when I do that. I record their voice saying, I love you. I forgive you for the pain you have caused me. And this is what I want to do with my body. I want to heal this cancer. I want to heal this tumor. Help me dissolve this fibromyalgia or pain. They can say that directly to their body. They, that, that emotion goes into their body, and then their body's listening. So I could put that speaker on their knees, on their joints, on their back, and they could hear their own voice speaking to their body from within their skeletal structure. And they break down, Mel. It's, it's an amazing transformation. But as, as Fernando, as, as the showmanship that I am, yeah. I project geometry with a video projector all over their body that is tied to the sound. So we have flower of life, 3D imagery, sacred geometry all over your hands, your arms, your chest, your body to give your light body entertainment. To, to have, so it starts having fun, right? Are, are you essentially trying to talk to your DNA with this? I'm not trying anything. I'm, we are doing You're it. You're doing it. Good. Because when you make the leap, when we make the leap of faith to believe that we have a light body, that we have an emotional body, and this, this is stuff that's been around for a long time, and assume that the intelligence that runs your DNA is smarter, more capable than your brain, than your own ego, why not talk to it? It talks English, by the way. If you know English, your body knows English. 
if you if you know Spanish, orally. I don't know. <laughs> I have a question that? though about this. Let me interject for one yeah, second. I've heard lately that our DNA operates like miniature laser beams. You know, it reacts to photons, which tells me that if our sun is reacting. Our DNA must be reacting to it. When I saw the videos of, of the people, uh, you know, were showing the imagery that you were putting it and the sound waves, it, it, is the DNA reacting to that? And I encourage people to, to take a look at what Mel is speaking about on my YouTube channel. The the just search for Vosa V is in Victor O S S A Media Vosa Media, and you'll get to my videos. Okay. Yes, my assumption is right away that DNA, the language of DNA is vibrational, whether it's light frequency, sound frequency, magnetic, crystal, but more importantly, thought frequency. The vibration of your intention is the key to talk to your DNA. So important what we're talking about here because this is a lot of this information is new to me. You know, being exposed to academia for some time, this is something that you really do not discuss. Uh, you know, scientists may say that this is just, you know, bordering on, on woo-woo science, if you want to say it. But <laughs> there, there's proof. I mean, I've interviewed uh, Dr. Claude Swanson, you know, the synchronized universe, uh, the yes. science of the paranormal. And I think of what some people call music of the spheres. Let's let's pick one one sphere. Let's pick Jupiter. There's, there's proof that Jupiter has this sound frequency that it's emanating from it, uh, 528 hertz, which is the healing frequency. And, and the then we got this Schumann resonance. The Schumann resonance, which has been, it's been ra uh, going up or, or raising. 7.5 hertz, all, it's gone up to 13, 14 hertz. Why? Explain that, please. We are in a cyclical evolutionary pattern, meaning think of it as a sine wave up and down. Yes. And right now we're, we're heading to a ups, upswing in, in energy. The frequencies coming from the sun, the coronal mass ejections, the, the sun puts out over a million resonant frequencies. Uh, we like to make things discrete, but the way it works in the universe, it's multidimensional at the quantum level. It means you can't separate one frequency from the other. It's just like the soup coming at us. But that energy that's been coming from the sun, which is also synchronized with the central binary system of the galaxy, and by the way, our sun is a binary system. We have another sister star. Where is it? It is, uh, I think it's positioned in a way that is uh, not visible from the Earth. And also remember, the information that we get, that we learn from NASA, is not the complete story. Of course. So if there was a, a binary sun, uh, why would they tell us about it when we can't see it? Especially if it had to do with awakening, right? Well, if they knew that there was a, a binary companion why wouldn't they tell us and i don't know about a, a day what a, a, a certain group of people making these decisions because it is not a certain group of anybody making mm -hmm. this decision it's the universe deciding when it's appropriate for us to be conscious or not conscious of truth does that make sense absolutely i mean just like we have the the moon Although it rotates, we can never see the other side. It's always facing the same way to us. The same could be if that other, uh, the, the companion star could be behind the sun, and as we orbit around it, it moves so that we never see it. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of this evolution that we're going through right now is to investigate our reality firsthand. Forget about what you've seen on the internet. 
Forget about what you've been told in textbooks. It is time for us to experience nature and reality firsthand. Right. Discover yourself through your own personal experience and ask your innate intelligence. Ask your own body. Do we have a binary sun system? Ask to dream about it, to be told, and watch what happens. No. That's what I do. That's what a lot of awakened individuals do. They ask anything they want to know. When you ask me a question, I don't go into my database and see, do I know this? Do I don't? I just tell you the first thing that comes through when, when you ask the question. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's similar to remote viewing when you have to, you know, the first thought that comes to mind, you write it down and, and you don't let your conscious mind take over because sometimes your subconscious mind is the one that's storing the real information. And it's taken decades for me to tune into my intuitive knowledge, yeah. my, my psychic artistic abilities. And I was doing that when I was doing graphic design for clients. They would say, I want to develop a brand and a logo and I want this to look you know, maybe wealthy or have a sense of youth. In my mind, I already saw the logo completed. I was given the, the, the solution. So when you asked me about, well, how could I get a laser to be able to communicate with another planet? I'm given the answer right away and I'll share it with you. Any question has that intuitive answer right away. I'm no longer ignoring that. Well, I have a question then. Yes. And this this may be, it's definitely indirectly related to what you do. But I always think of uh, what happened close to 70 years ago with that uh, Joseph Goebbels, uh, the Nazi. Uh, you may remember how they changed our music from 432 hertz to 440 hertz. You know, the propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, it decided that in 1939, and the 440 hertz, it's what really helps us boost our intelligence, our inspiration, our well-being, our, our, our talents. And the only place that kept the 432 hertz were churches. So that people, when they would be there and they would listen to the organ and to the chorus, the, the choir, they would feel a, a miraculous uh, a religious experience. Do you know why this changed from 440 hertz to, or from 432 hertz to 440? Yes. It's called entrainment. You show the body a particular frequency, a particular signature, and it starts modulating itself to mimic it. Because your body wants to be of service. Your mind wants to be of service. But the default, that means if you don't tell your brain or your mind or your body how you want to manifest, it'll do it on its own at, a, at the continuous no change level. That means... If you want to change from feeling fear or stress or panic into feeling joy and bliss and being centered, you have to show your body the frequency that you want to resonate at or, is, or the emotion. Mm -hmm. So those frequencies that you're talking about, uh, in the range of what was available at that time, uh, those were the entrainment. That means the little homeopathic signature to get us to start feeling scared. For example, there is a range of colors and frequencies to open us up to creative thinking, to open us up to understanding God, or to connecting with aliens. Uh, all of those frequencies are available. And now, we are bringing a superset of frequencies, which aren't just one particular number. I wanted to be clear about that. It's not as discrete as we'd like them to be. Where all of those 
older ones are going to be irrelevant. It doesn't matter if they play 440 hertz to us anymore. They will no longer affect us. And while that's happening, I have a little present for those who are listening. I've been searching for, for something. I have, I've been a music collector all my life. I have thousands of CDs. And to know that in the past, all this music had the right frequency of 432. And all the music that we have right now, it's at 440. It may not be the essence that the artist really wanted to convey. And I found some places on the internet where you can put a song, but they charge you for every song that you want to, to, to uh, transform into 432. However, I found a piece of software, a free piece of software. If you join our forum, I'll put the link right there so you can download it. So now I have all my music into 432 hertz. And when you listen to it, you'll really feel the experience. You're going to feel so at peace and your creative mind is going to be magnified. So I'm going to you know, let you know, everybody who wants to join our forum, you'll get it there. But the sound, 528 coming from Jupiter, the Schumann resonance uh, being raised year after year. Does this mean that the, the, the human beings and every living being on the planet is also raising its, its vibration as the Earth does it, or is that something voluntary? It is a cymatic effect. That means that as the Earth resonates a different range of frequencies, the human beings on the surface and in the inner Earth start organizing the thoughts and then later the actions to build new patterns. So you're going to see migrational patterns around the planet changing with these new frequencies, but you're also going to see your ideas changing because all of these raising of vibration, you might say tuning a different radio, allow us to act and live a little bit differently. And the way it's being done through not only Jupiter, but Venus and Mars and the sun and the moon, they're all, it's an all like a mechanism that works together. It morphs little by little so we don't have like jumps from one day to the next in reality. Gradual. So imagine if you took the last thousand years of evolution and you woke up the next day that thousand years occurred. It would be too traumatic for consciousness and and still stay on your path. Because part of the idea of our existence on this planet is to maintain your authentic purpose for being here because we have a role. Now, now, I know that sounds a bit abstract, but let's bring it down to something specific. Uh, I was angry and frustrated a few months ago. Something occurred in the last few months that shifted my perception of reality. I'm talking in a very different way today than I was just a few months ago. I'm not into the fear mode. It doesn't really scare me. If somebody from DARPA invited me today to do a, a workshop for their engineers who build weapons, it would be a very interesting presentation. <laughs> I've even opened up the invitation for military bases to host our UFO Skywatch team so we can see, show them UFOs that are flying right over their own bases that the, my military friends don't even know that, are, that exist. The other question is, are they part of our secret space program, our, our breakaway civilization, or are they truly not from this planet? The, the phenomena that we are monitoring has the entire range of realities. One, we see what looks like metallic craft, yeah. round and saucer-like, lower flight patterns. We also see organic-looking, amoeba-looking organisms yes. that, that 
are like looking through a petri dish in the sky. Some of these organisms are thousands of thousands of feet long. Uh, I've interacted with uh, Jose Escamilla and also Ed Grimsley on this sure. phenomenon. And then we also have the, the pure light kind of constructs that are huge. Some of them are miles and miles big. Some of them are the size of the earth flying by. And they are colorful. They almost look like those orbs that you take pictures of. Oh, sure. And they have a geometry inside of them. We've seen things that little spheres of light, to us they look little, but it looks like they're probably miles across, that have like Merkabahs inside. They have little holes in the center. Some of them look like toroids floating around. Uh, it's the entire spectrum of phenomena. I mean, we've seen the Dropa stones. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. There's, there's all kinds of things levitating really low to the earth, and there's stuff that's happening beyond our solar system that we can see from here that is not... Uh, that is not cataloged in astronomy. And, you know, the, the foundation or the fundamentals of, of this program, Fernando, are three essential but basic questions. And I hope that on in segment two we can discuss this because you, you seem to, to have been exposed to something. All this knowledge that you have, I don't think you get this knowledge just from academia and, and growing up. Something else must have happened to you, and I want to explore that. Oh, yeah. So you can tell me. Who are we? Where do we come from? And where are we going? But tell us how, how do people get in touch with your work and be exposed to, to all this stuff that you're doing. By the time this interview is published, which you said is the 18th? That's correct. I will be launching the centerofmasscreation.com, just centerofmasscreation.com to be able to see the entire layout of this new R&D facility I want to build. We'll have links to my videos and also to ways that individuals can participate. I also have a YouTube channel, Volsa Media. You just go to youtube.com slash Volsa Media. And you've also told me that uh, you've had interaction with different extraterrestrial races, and I want to take, get your take on some of the things they have told you and some of the things that we can use in practical ways to, to help us circumvent what may be coming in oh, next yeah. year. That's the fun part. Fernando, it's a pleasure having you on. Stay with us, folks. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Fernando Vosa, and you're listening to Veritas Radio. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We'll continue this interview with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the member section. Enjoy. Love strange, so real and the 
It's my feeling will win in the end. I won't harm you or touch your defenses. Vanity, insecurity. Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone dancing in the wood, baby. Going to take us apart and put us back together at heartbeat. Don't you forget about me. This is Professor John Searle, and you are listening to Veritas. (laughs) 